So you may know this, you may not know this, but I spent a school year as a missionary on the island country of Vanuatu. It's in the South Pacific. It's beautiful, it's brilliant. Um, And I learned a secret there, but it was quite a ways into my time there that was revolutionary. And it was this thing that we would do like once a month, sometimes more frequently, where myself and Josh Bossard and Dominic Dunn and Dave Corson, we would head out into the villages, sometimes many days away, we'd hike into them, and we'd visit the Nevans. And they're very hospitable people. So it was, if you came to their village, you're eating some food. And you would typically know what you're eating because there would be a fire, and on that fire would be this pot, and there'd be something in there like boiling. And you would look over at that pot, and every once in a while, you'd just see stuff emerge out. And you'd be like, oh, what was that? Oh no, what are we eating, right? So when you went and got your food, you would go up there and you would take the ladle and you'd put it in there and whatever you put into your bowl, you would eat because they would be watching you. It was commitment. So I learned very quickly to be the first one up. And if I ladled something into my bowl that looked like the wrong part of the chicken, then I would say, hey, Josh, I got you a bowl. Here you go. Just serving you, like Jesus. Here you go, bro, right? I know I'm wicked and evil. I will do it to you on the mission field. I'm protecting my intestines, right? Nine months in, so I'm almost done in Vanuatu. I was told this. I was told, oh, if you're not hungry and you don't wanna eat the food in the village, all you have to do is lick your finger and touch the food, and you're out. I'm like, what? Nine months and you tell me that? Why didn't you tell me that nine months ago? Like that was, my intestines hate you right now. They hate you. Revolutionary. There is something in the book of 1 Peter that's kind of like that, that it will change your life if you understand it and you apply it. It will save you a lot, a lot of hardship. So listen to this. It's Peter chapter four, verse one. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions but for the will of God. Peter says, arm yourself. It's actually a military term. It's a weapon term. It's it's the Christian concealed carry. That every Christian should be armed with this understanding. And it's this, when you suffer, a proper understanding of suffering, you get set free from sin. How crazy is that? That's a crazy thought. And it's huge, I think, in two ways. Number one is this. We spend a ton of energy really in our lives avoiding any kind of suffering, don't we? Some people medicate it. 
So there's a saying now, if you've got a pain, go get a pill. That we have this modern way of dealing with pain and it's pretty isolated, it's not holistic. It's if I've got a pain, I want to go get a pill. Some of them are legal, some of them are illegal. And we've seen in the last 20 years, the damage that has caused. Some people try to escape from pain. So they know that they're suffering, they know that there's a difficult situation. So they avoid that people, those people, they avoid that place because they don't want to be triggered by it. Some people procrastinate. They've got something out there they know is gonna cause them pain or suffering, so they just procrastinate. It's Netflix, gallon of ice cream, two pounds of peanut M&Ms, 16 hours later, and you hate yourself. Like, ah, because you procrastinated, right? But here's the thing. When we do that, we miss out. Because Peter, right after this section on suffering, verses seven through 11, he's gonna talk about love because suffering and love are Siamese twins. That if you're ever going to love something, you're gonna suffer. If you're gonna give your love to a pet, at some point you will outlive the life of that pet and they'll be suffering. If you give your heart to somebody, right? Everybody is broken. If you're newly engaged in here, I'll repeat that. The person you're engaged to is broken. At some point in the relationship, you're gonna suffer because of decisions they make, right? They're, they're twins. So C.S. Lewis has this great quote, and I'll read it for you on this topic. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. There's more. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. If we do that, if we choose to escape and not understand, not be armed with a proper understanding of suffering, we're gonna miss out. That's what's gonna happen. Secondly, if you don't get the right understanding of suffering, what happens is you actually multiply your suffering. Because what you'll do is this. If you suffer, then you'll begin to complain and grumble and you'll say life is unfair. Here's what's fascinating about that. When you grumble and complain and murmur about suffering, do you know what you're actually doing? You're suffering again. The only place you suffer is right here in your head. That's the only place. You don't suffer anywhere else. Your body sends signals to your brain. Your brain interprets them and decides, is this good or bad? When you go over your suffering and you're complaining and murmuring and uh, saying life is unfair, your brain, science has found, is doing the exact same thing as when you suffered. All you're doing is suffering exactly the same and again and again and again. You're multiplying your suffering. You're doing it over and over and over again. You relive it. We gotta understand suffering. 
So there's this great book, it's called Adam's Return. It was really a great book for me. And the author went and looked at all these cultures across time, across the world, at their rites of passages, like bar mitzvahs for um, Jewish children, just everyone you could imagine. And he tried to see, is there a theme across all these? When we look at these old cultures, did they have a way of equipping their young men to flourish as adults? What he found was there were five marks of the rites of passages that almost every single civilization throughout history had. Number one was this. They would tell their boys, number one, life is hard. You're gonna suffer. That was number one. Theme across every, hey, young men, life is hard. You're gonna suffer. Number two was, you're not that important. Number three was, life is not about you. Number four was, you can't control things. And number five was, one day you will die. It was a very encouraging book to read. (laughs) Uplifting to my soul. (laughs) It was just honest about, hey, understand this, right? Suffering happens. Peter is like, listen, arm yourself with this understanding. Get armed. I can't imagine a better topic to talk about right now. Because there's a new word invented because of the way we are right now. The word is catastrophizing. Who's heard that word? It's so good. So here is the definition of catastrophizing. To view or talk about an event or circumstance as worse than it actually is. Anyone doing that? This is also known as Twitter or CNN news, right? Catastrophizing. Ah, 2020 is the worst year ever. Really? Schools will never open up. Schools will never be the same. <laughs> COVID-19 is never gonna away, going away. It's gonna mutate and every, there's just gonna be wave after wave after wave of COVID-19. You're gonna always be social distant and you're always gonna have to wear a mask from now on. There's never gonna be college football, never. <laughs> right? Everyone's going to die. Fires are going to burn the entire planet. Murder hornets are coming. Look out, right? (laughs) It's insane. It's what we do now. We catastrophize like, ah, when I'm really honest, I think 2020 has been pretty good. Had a really mild summer here, right? Not smoke really. It's getting hot this last week. Man, I love that. It's gonna keep you and me warm through January. Be thankful. It's the last blast of summer. Enjoy it, right? It's been super good. I think Grant's Pass, like you can watch Twitter, you can watch CNN, and you go outside, and it's a very different reality out here. We're like in a bubble of God's grace. Like, wow, I'm gonna enjoy this. I just shut it off. I don't read the news anymore. I'm just like, yeah. It's the same thing over and over and over. And a lot of it has not materialized. So I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm not doing that. I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna live that way. And when you do, here's what they found. So psychologists are studying this phenomenon right now and they find that people that catastrophize, here's what happens. They get anxiety, panic, extreme fear, depression, despondency, rage, embarrassment, shame, guilt, hurt, Jealousy, that's just to name a few. Who wants that, man? So Peter is arguing there is a way to understand suffering, a way to understand life, that if you're armed right, it actually is good for you. 
It's healthy. So there's a book, it's called Anti-Fragile by Nassim Tlaib. And in it, he says, there are three kinds of things in the world. There's fragile things, resilient things, and anti-fragile things. Fragile things are like teacups that if they get stressed or suffer, they break and you can't put them back together. They're done. Resilient things are like a plastic cup. It can get suffering or pain and it just bounces and doesn't change. But there's a third group of things. They're anti-fragile. They require suffering. They require stress. They require pain to grow. He says muscles are anti-fragile. Bones are anti-fragile. And he says people can be anti-fragile, that it is through suffering, that it's through difficulty that you actually grow and become something different, stronger, better, richer. And I've talked to people that have suffered greatly and they've said, I'm more empathetic than I've ever been before. People that have told me because of my suffering, I knew about Jesus before suffering. Now I know Jesus. It's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's in the fiery furnace that Jesus shows up in a way he doesn't show up in other ways. It's what Paul would say is the fellowship of suffering. It happens in suffering. It gets people out of ruts. People put their head down. For years they go by and it's an event of suffering that causes them to lift their head up and be like, oh my goodness, what am I doing? And they get vision and clarity. Priorities are straight. It's a wisdom I don't think you can get anywhere else. It comes only through that. So in life, I think there's two big ways to take suffering. You're gonna catastrophize, ah, the sky is falling and be despondent and all that junk. Or Peter would say, you can get armed and get the proper understanding of suffering and you become anti-fragile and you actually get strengthened by it. So he gives us now three kinds of suffering for us to be armed with so we understand it so that we become anti-fragile, right? Suffering number one is suffering from sin. Look at verse four, three, excuse me. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Some suffering comes from sin. And what Peter is saying here is this. Look it, you invested enough of your life in killing brain cells, quit it. For those that partied, when, when you wanted to go party on a Friday or Saturday, what would you say to your friends? You'd say, hey, let's go out and let's get wasted. What, what a concept, right? Boy, that sounds great. Yeah, let's get wasted. Peter's like, you did enough of that already right? So he gives us list of things, right? Drunkenness, sensuality, passions, orgies, drinking parties, lawless idolatry. I know there's one guy in here saying, yeah, man, that's the weekend for me, bro. You spend enough time doing that. What are sensualities and passions? It's just sexual sin. It's 50 shades of gray. It's, it's that whole thing. I talk to people that disagree with the sexual ethic of the Bible that says it's one man, one wife, one life, that that is actually where sexuality 
flourishes. And I'll just ask him this one question. I'll say, have you ever been hurt by sex? I have yet to have one person say no, because sex has been weaponized and people suffer from it. Unneeded. Drunkenness. For some people, the pain of suffering is so great that then they try to, try to drown in a substance so they don't have to feel that pain anymore. It's sad for me. So my wife and I kind of walked through this with somebody. We had this baby, baby Harry, and we got him when he was born. He was born addicted to heroin. And his mom was obviously addicted to heroin. And we really wanted her to succeed. We're like, hey, she'd already lost a couple kids already. We're like, here's a new chance. This beautiful baby, come on, we will help you in this. Let's walk this out. Let's get you. And she gets into rehab. She made it for three days and then she quit. So then we saw her at a court appointment weeks after that. And we asked her, like, what happened? This is what she said. She said, well, I started getting a clear head by day two. And she said, when I wasn't high anymore, I was reminded of how stupid I am, of how I've lost these kids and how I've blown it with my life and how worthless I am. And she said, I couldn't take those thoughts. I'd rather stay high. Broke her heart. Broke her heart. Peter's saying, it's not gonna help you. You're just multiplying and adding more and more and more drunkenness. Orgies. What does that mean? I think you know. Please don't check on your phone. Right? Drinking parties. I think this is so appropriate. Right? Peter talks about drunkenness and then drinking parties, a different category. What's a drinking party? Well, maybe it's what's happening right now. So there's this survey I read that just made me crack up. They were looking at industrialized countries and asking them, since COVID-19, have you drank more? So they talked to people in Australia and the people in Australia were like, oh my goodness, we are drinking more. Like it's becoming a problem, right? I'm drinking way more than I drank before. Help me. And then, then they talked to people in the United States and they asked the same question. And in the USA, people said, oh no, 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 we're drinking less now. Right, someone says over here. The problem with that is liquor sales have increased 55% since COVID-19. Somebody's lying, like, no, dude, I'm not drinking at all. Excuse me. <laughs> drinking parties. It's well within your right as a Christian to make your decision, whatever side you want to land on alcohol. You can't get drunk, you have a drink. I do think there's been a switch though, and it's a dangerous switch, where we've become way too casual about our attitude toward drinking. And I see it all the time. So last year about this time, I was talking with somebody, and I love to hike, and I was like, what do you do on Saturday? And they said, oh, um, I'm gonna go on the Applegate Trail. Now I'm just clueless, I'm like, oh, great, man, I love hiking. And they looked at me like I was dead Flanders. They're like. No, it's a wine drinking affair. I'm like, oh, oh, sorry, I didn't know that. We just had this casual attitude. Be careful. Drinking has led to a lot of problems, deweys and gossip. And how many times have somebody been pushed into infidelity because of drinking? Be careful with it. Be careful. Peter warns a lot of pain can happen from this one right here. 
right? So he just gives this list. And I've tried to help people in this category. People that are stuck in cycles of sin, whether it's sexual sin or, or addiction to a substance, I've tried to help them. In fact, I talked with a guy a couple months ago who's in rehab right now, and I'm talking to him on the phone, and I said this to him, listen, buddy, James says it's like this. He says, sin is like a baited hook. That's what it's like. And really good, really good fishermen, they know this. You have to hide the hook in the bait, right? But you have to hide the hook in the bait. It's Matt. I met this gal at a rave party. Bro, look out. But Matt, she's hot. Yeah, so is hell. <laughs> Matt, I met this guy. I know he's bad, but he's just so interesting. Yeah, your credit card bill is going to be interesting in a little while. Your missing wallet is going to be interesting in a little while. Your missing car is going to be interesting in a little while. Yeah, right? It's always hidden. And James says, look out. Because when you bite, you produce a sin baby. A sin baby. And that sin baby owns you. You gotta pour resources into it and energy into it, time into it. Ask anybody that's had a baby. They take a lot of energy. They suck it out of you. I've got five kids. 20 years of effort into them, right? And so I talk to these men who have refugee camps full of sin babies, and they're crying and saying, help me, because the hook is in. And I always tell them, bro, look for the hook next time. Next time. I say, here's what you have to do, because right now, right now, you feel the hook. But the enemy is really good at something. He's really good at when the hook is out, only reminding you of the bait. And man, you go right back to it. So I tell them, Right now, start something I call a sin journal. Write how you feel right now. Write about the emotions. Write about the guilt and the shame. Write about how empty you are. Write it out because you will forget. But they rarely seem to write it. So I keep threatening to get a, like a hidden camera in the office and just record them. And when they start chasing after bait, just post their whole confession on YouTube for everybody to see. Like, dude, remember. Suffer, you suffered. Now you can't even remember the hook. So Peter here, Peter here is saying, listen, arm yourself with this. Arm, you, you have enough evidence to know what sin does. Be armed with that and you'll cease from sin. Number two, kind of suffering, is suffering for being a saint. Look at verse four. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. What a great word picture. And they malign you. You're gonna suffer because you're a saint. They're gonna malign you and they're gonna mock you. That's what they're going to do. Somehow, we become the weird ones. They go out, act like dirt bags, hurt people, hurt others, do all kinds of crazy stuff, and we're the weird ones. Like, it's a crazy culture we live in but it's the way it is. Teens, you know this. You know the circles you run in. You know that there are circles of people that go and do verse three. Drinking parties, smoke pot, sleep with anything that moves. You know that crew. And you know that if you say, I'm not part of that, I don't wanna do that, you become ostracized, you become the weird one. You get uninvited, you're on the outside now. 
You know that happens. I remember talking to a young lady who was mocked for being a virgin. Oh, you poor girl. You're a virgin? You haven't had a drunk kid take advantage of you? Possibly give you a baby or an STD? Oh, poor, poor girl. That's the way it is now, though. Right? I remember in my 20s, I rededicated my life when I was 20, uh, went back to my same college roommates who were verse three, smoking, drinking, parade of girls through, and I'd be there reading my Bible. Sunday morning, going to church. Wednesday night, going to Campus Crusades for Christ. They would cuss, and they'd always look over at me like, oh, sorry, man. I remember it. On the outside now. You're gonna be mocked. You're gonna be maligned. But you know what? I didn't miss out on anything. The only thing I missed out on was waking up hungover in the back of a pickup truck Missing my wallet, covered in puke, with a new tattoo halfway to Tijuana. Nah, you can have it. Thank you very much. That's what I missed out on. They're going to mock. They're going to malign us. That's what they're going to do. And you have to arm yourself with this truth because the way that Jesus is, the Jesus way is countercultural. That's what it is. And so if we're trying to fit into this culture right now and try to, try to smooth things over, it's not going to work. Right? This whole cancel culture thing. I tell these people that try to like smooth things over and, and be okay. I'm like, you'll never be, you'll never be woke enough, man. They canceled Jimmy Kimmel and Ellen DeGeneres. Listen, you're not gonna beat them. They're the wokest people in the world. And they got canceled. You can't even do it anymore. You just have to stand on what you believe because they have an answer for everything. You have to just know there's gonna be fallout for this, but I don't care because there's an answer for anything you stand for in Jesus anymore. If you say, you know what? I stand for the unborn. The cancel culture says, oh, you're anti-choice and anti-women. No, I'm, I'm pro-babies. No, you're not. If you say, I am for marriage, then it's, oh, oh. You're a patriarchal, binary, two-bathroom bigot. No, I just think marriage is important. If you say, I just believe the Bible is the best way for people to, to flourish. Oh, you're a Western civilization, white male oppressor. Um, the Bible is actually an Eastern book written in the Middle East. I, I don't know, right? If you say, well, I, I don't think socialism and Marxism work. You know, they're atheistic. I just don't think you, they're, oh, you don't like colored people. What? No, right? We just have to agree to disagree. Oh, you're just blinded by your privilege. Oh, right? That's coming. Arm yourself. Be okay with it. This is what I believe. This is truth. This is how I'm going to live my life. I don't care about your maligning, your mocking. It's okay. I'm not comfortable with this culture and that's okay. It's good. And here's the hope. Here's the hope in it. There's a third kind of suffering. It's verse five. But they will give account to him who's ready to judge the living and the dead. There's a third kind of suffering. And it's God's judgment. And this is why it matters. I don't know where you stand on hell, but the Bible has all these metaphors for hell. Lake of fire. So people have asked me, Matt, do you believe hell is a literal fire? I say, no, it's a metaphor. 
because it's all also outer darkness. You can't have both of those, right? I'm like, oh, phew, thank you. I say, it's actually much worse. The metaphors of the Bible are telling you and me, gnashing of teeth, the worm does not die. Murder hornet, I think right there. He was coming for me. <laughs> gnashing of teeth, murder hornets, whatever it is. It's saying it's the worst place possible. You do not want to go there. You don't want to go there. And here's what Peter is saying. Hey, they might malign you. They might say these things about you. But there's coming judgment. There's coming judgment that they will give an account. God will say, why did you hurt my daughter that way? Why did you hurt my son that way? Why did you mock? Why did you malign? Why did you sin? Why did you steal? Justice is coming. That either, we got really two choices. Either you're gonna conform to God and his principle and this culture will cause you to suffer or you're gonna conform to this culture and you'll face God's judgment. It's just a choice, one or the other. And Peter is saying, take hope in this. I'm glad for God's judgment. You know why? Here's why. It's the only way when I'm maligned, I won't try to repay them. It's the only way. If I believe that God is the judge and he will do what is right, then I don't ever have to get back anybody. I can just say vengeance is his, he'll repay. I can repay good with, for evil. I can do all that when I say God's got it. It's the only way. So there's a brilliant professor, his name is Miroslav Volf. And he went through the Bosnian ethnic cleansings that took place there in Serbia back in the 1990s. And he had to deal with young men who had seen their family murdered by Slobodan Milosevic and his socialist, atheistic regime that did not believe in anything after this life and freely tried to wipe out an entire group of people. How do you talk that young man out of going getting revenge? Do you say, oh, you know, violence never solved anything. That would never work. He said, the only way that I could talk a young man out of it was to say, there is a God who sees and he will judge correctly. Trust him. It was the only way he could talk people out of it. He knows firsthand is God's justice that leads to less violence because you don't have to do it. You can trust him. You can trust him. They will give an account. They will give an account and God will judge perfectly. Motives, what's inside the heart, he knows it. And here's the good news. If you arm yourself with this, if you get this truth in you, here's what happens. It's verse six. Here's what it produces. For this is why the gospel is preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. When you get armed with this understanding of suffering, when you get armed with this, what happens is you live a different kind of life. You cease from sin like that's gonna suffer. That's not it. You're not worried about what culture says about you. You don't get vengeance anymore. Instead, you live in the spirit the way God does. Anybody want that? Anybody wanna live in the power of God's spirit? Anybody wanna live the way God does, the right kind of life? Well, Matt, what does that kind of life look like? Is it King James Virgin English, like thee and thine? Is it saying Jesus like Jesus? <laughs> Is it, I think somebody out there has back pain right now. I'd like to pray for you. No, it's Book of Acts. It's this brilliant, flourishing, incredible, powerful, 
countercultural life that turned the world upside down. I want that kind of life. I want that kind of life. And the whole thing begins, verse four, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. The reason you and I can get this new perspective on suffering that makes us anti-fragile, that makes us a different kind of people is because Jesus suffered. And in his suffering, he gives you and me a new heart and a new spirit so that we don't have to sin anymore. That as we study his word, we get renewed minds that see the right view of the world, that get a perspective that only he brings. It's because of Jesus. And so every single Sunday, we come to the Lord's table. And part of coming to the Lord's table is this. We wanna repartake in that life. In John chapter six, Jesus says, if you don't eat of me, if you don't drink of my blood, you're gonna have no part in me. So what we're saying in communion at the Lord's table is this. Okay, okay. We wanna walk in your spirit. We wanna view suffering the way you did. And we wanna live the way God does. That's what we're saying. So we're gonna take communion together. I've gotta to get one, there's not one up here. So Jesus, today, we hold your broken body we know that this happens by faith, that there's nothing special about this one calorie piece of bread. But we want to receive it by faith. And we want that faith to infect us with a different view of suffering. so that we're set free from the temptations to sin, that we see the hook, we turn away from it. That we see our culture that is anti you, anti-flourishing, and we choose you. That we know that you are the one that judges so we don't have to. We're set free from being judgmental. That vengeance is yours. You'll repay. So we don't have to repay evil with evil. We can repay evil with good. That our greatest weapon that we can be armed with even today is the weapon of good. And so I pray as we eat today, that by faith you would come into us and we could have a better view of suffering, a better understanding of the repercussions of sin, a better understanding of you as the judge of all the earth and that we would walk out of here living in the spirit the way you do. So let's eat together. for the cup. I pray for those that maybe are engaged in verse three, stuck in cycles of sexual sin, substance abuse. I pray that they would know the truth 
that the Son can set them free. Nothing is impossible for you, that your arm is not short. I pray that they would drink freedom even today by the power of your spirit. They'd be given a new heart and a new mind and renewed abilities to live in the power of your spirit. No longer in the passions of the flesh, but walking after you. May they drink, may each of us drink that freedom, Lord. We have a real enemy who wants to meet us at the doors out there and to steal from us the good seed of scripture and kill the life you want for us. And so we pray that we would drink protection, cleansing, curing, that we would partake in you by faith. Let's drink together. Amen. So we're going to sing one final song. But we offer baptism after every service. If you're here today and you have never been baptized, or you don't know what it even means to be baptized, or you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can show up right over here. It's super simple. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans 10 verse 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, he's the king, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So we offer that. We also offer prayer. There'll be people up here. Maybe you have come in and you're suffering. You're being maligned. Maybe it's a sickness. We'd love to pray for you. The Bible says it's because of the work of Jesus. We can now come boldly before the throne of grace obtain help in our time of need. And so we'd love to just partner with you in that by prayer. You can obtain help in your time of need. So if either of those things are for you, take advantage. If not, go. Walk in the Spirit the way God does. Would you stand for one final song?